Hey, Nick. Hey, Teddy, you're back, finally. What do you mean, back? <laughs> well, you, you went away for a while. Didn't you go too? No, why would I leave? So you've been what? Just sitting here, waiting. Right, you know, we're not actually, like... I mean, do, you, do you have, um, do you have a question to ask me? Oh, right, right, right. Do you remember the book, Captivating? Oh, God, I forgot about that. It's been so long since I said that. <laughs> we're back! <laughs> Welcome back to Oh God, I Forgot About That, the podcast where we explore artifacts from turn-of-the-millennium Christian culture. Nick, how was your Christmas? Violent. <laughs> you kept Christ in it? I kept Christ in it, yes. Okay. Yeah. I pronounced all the syllables of the word. <laughs> no shortcutting here. My holiday was fine, but it felt like we had the holiday and we intended to take a week or two off and then we blinked and a month was gone. So yeah. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back too. I'm excited uh, for our new season and our new uh, set of listeners, which hopefully are here now with us. So welcome. Yeah. If this is your first season, your first time with us, get ready for a ride. I hope it is at least. We've gotten a couple hundred few more um, followers on Instagram and people reaching out, expressing, you know, sort of interest in, in the podcast and requests for topics. And um, I've been really delighted to see that even though we took a week off, took a, more than a week off, we took a month off, um, that it seems like people have still kept up with us. And that's just been so fun to see. So, yeah, it's lovely to see that even in only a few months of work, there's a little community forming and that's lovely. Yeah, I love that. Um, so this is technically then unofficially slash officially first episode of season two. And we are starting our season off with a kind of um, set of books. Wouldn't call it a series. I guess they're companion books. I was going to say companion books would be what I would call them or what I've heard them called at least. Right. So what we're talking about today is the book Captivating, Unveiling the Mystery of a Woman's Soul, which was published in 2005 by Stacey Eldridge. It's a companion book to Wild at Heart, which is written by her husband, John. Yes. Um, and we are going to be talking about the first one, Captivating, today, the woman's version. And then, Nick, you're going to kind of lead a conversation on Wild at Heart in our next episode. Yes. This pair of books looms rather large in my memory. I know that, uh, funny enough, I, I keep uh, a ledger with all the books that I read. And I've been doing this since college. Um, and the first book I ever recorded, I'm fairly certain, is Wild at Heart. Wow. Yeah. That's, That's how weirdly long. This every time I go and I read, you know, like I'll go, I'm going to write down the Communist Manifesto this year. I got to look past Wild at Heart. <laughs> That's quite the jump. Well, you know, this is the From whole Christian point. literature to, yeah. to Mark. Uh, but, but that said, like, Wild at Heart was defining a lot of the uh, men's group and, and philosophies and ideas of what masculinity meant. And I pretty much pretty much every woman that I was friends with at the time read Captivating and borrowed some of the language from it for talking about themselves and their journey and their 
perspectives on gender. So uh, this this companion set is quite a big one. Yeah, yeah. I although I was definitely interested in doing this episode with you, this book is actually a little difficult for me to talk about because although I can retrospectively see a lot of its problems, and we'll talk about that, obviously, my experience with this text at the time was primarily quite positive. Yeah. Positive in the sense that it initiated a lot of good discussions. I vividly recall reading through it multiple times with my spiritual mother slash spiritual mentor. What That's what we would have called them, a spiritual parent at the time. I remember us sitting, um, we'd sit and read it chapter by chapter at McDonald's on Tuesday nights. <laughs> and wow. it would initiate some some really deep conversations. And in the midst of all the classic purity culture texts, mm -hmm. it was different in that it wasn't explicitly about sex and it was much more about gender, which as a young teen, I found much more comfortable and relevant. And, you know, this is perhaps the reason why it was a positive experience and something I'll come back to later. There's a lot of flexibility to the text as well, and a lot of room for interpretation, primarily because it's really fluffy, both theologically and semantically. It's it's not highly prescriptive. It's not incredibly rule based. It's not rooted in anything real concrete. It's littered with like media references. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you don't leave this book with the same feeling that you leave like every young woman's battle or something. There's there's not as much of a here's what I need to be doing as a woman. So it initiated, I think, a lot more in some ways, like debate and discourse about femininity at the time, which when I was a teen, I was way more into. And kind of in the chaotic sea of nonsense that was purity culture, it kind of stands out as a as one of the more fruitful texts. Yeah, that's really interesting. Does any of that like resonate? I mean, I don't know. You obviously have lots of time to talk about the the man's companion version, but <laughs> do you remember your like your women friends' relationship to this text, especially in comparison to like other? gender sex sexuality this is the one that i can remember like i said pretty much every woman friend at the time uh had read regardless of how much other sort of purity culture texts they invested in right so uh, whereas you know uh, opinions were split on every wo young woman's battle everybody wanted to be reading captivating I remember it being a lot of the foundation for relationship talks that I was involved with at any given point. <laughs> I don't know that this one was weaponized mm -hmm. against me and my like cross gender friendships the same way that other things were, because I think and we'll talk about this as we go. These two texts are about the complementary nature. And I mean that in like both senses of the word, complementary nature of uh, gender. Yes, yes, yeah. that's that's very true. Yeah. So Captivating is a companion to Wild at Heart. And the idea is that Stacy's book talks about kind of godly womanhood and John's book talks about godly manhood. And they stand as isolated texts, but could be read in tandem mm -hmm. as like, especially for like a couple pursuing maybe a more godly marriage based on, you know, um, more like spiritual understandings of what it means to be men and women 
Yeah. But they're very of all of the the um what's the word I can think of gendery books <laughs> from <laughs> from that era. This is the one that was the most flexible in like here is what men can learn from women and here is what women can learn from men and those lessons are actually pretty vast and I don't know it's hard to describe she also does this weird thing throughout the text where she's very much trying to appeal to the crowd of women who are very much over christian women books mm. so she is really obviously positioning herself as someone who's not writing the same kind of book for women of the time so it positions itself as very different in the intro, she says, quote, as a new Christian, the first book I picked up to read on godly femininity, I threw across the room and I could never pick up another one again. So she kind of starts <laughs> like, I have a beef with these with these texts. Yeah. And she then goes on to say that many other Christian books for women feel like how to books or just books that made them feel guilty for not doing enough or not being a good enough wife or not being a good enough woman. And she claims that captivating will be different because it's simply about a, quote, woman's heart and is a celebration of femininity. Its primary goal, she says, simultaneously, like so loaded and so utterly vague, is to unveil the mystery of a woman's soul, which already feels a little different than like yeah. other books of the time, you know, yeah. for, for this era. Yeah. And that that um jives with my memory of Wild at Heart. I, I won't make every one of my comments comparative, but. I don't have the specific experiences with this for obvious reasons, but I, but I remember that being sort of the opening conceit of wild at heart as well. Like, Oh, you know, all these wishy washy books about manhood aren't actually making you be a man. They're making you be, you know, something else. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, that's a really interesting that uh, Stacy uses the same approach there. Yeah. And her, you know, one of her main points, too, is that like the, all of these other books are ultimately trying to get you to kind of like rein in and police your femininity. And what we really need to be tapping into is like the full kind of range and, and contradictions and the, the beauty of the contradictions and uh, of femininity. And part of that for her is like women are women are not just meek and mild. They're also strong and bold and protective. And they not only want to be sort of wooed, they also want to go on adventures, you know? So I'm sure that as a teen, that was like very, very alluring to me mm -hmm. that someone who I considered a kind of had, who had spiritual authority was kind of giving voice to some of what felt like more of the ambiguity of femininity or the parts of femininity that weren't maybe as much expressed in the church things that I like wanted to latch on to and that I felt as as a more dynamic person, you know, um, but that I also didn't feel was often indulged in in mm. conversations about being a woman in, in, in the church. That's fascinating. And I'm really excited to see how that plays out as we as we continue to discuss it. To me, these approaches still feel like they're grounded in the same like gender essentialism and complementarian ideology, even though it's a different approach from what that normally looks like. Does that track with your reread? Oh, yeah, for sure. A rose by any other name. Um, right. You know, so I think that 
I think that when I was reading, I was really struggling with how to phrase this. And I wanted to come up with something a bit more academic and sophisticated. Um, but my thesis is actually going to end up being, are you ready for it? It's extremely nuanced. Mm -hmm. Captivating is bullshit. <laughs> generally, <laughs> generally speaking, and theologically speaking, it's also mostly innocent bullshit. And it's not that different from the world's bullshit. Okay. I like that. <laughs> so, so I could, I could say a lot about how captivating is really not that bad. How in light of the other texts of the time, it doesn't stand out as something that was particularly harmful to me. I actually, if I were to like weight it, you know, weigh it, I, I would say I have more positive feelings than negative feelings and more positive memories than negative memories. But no one's here for that. That's boring, right? <laughs> so, so, Tear it down. Right? So we're, I just want to put that truth out there. My truth is that this text was also was like ultimately not that bad for me. In mm. fact, it was actually there were many good memories with it. Yeah. But we're also here to be critical and, you know, no expangelicals putting on this podcast to be like, let's hear about how something was sort of not that bad. You know, that's boring, right? No, but I but I also do think and I know you feel this way, too. But like the, we have to kind of acknowledge the positive experiences that we had with these texts. Yeah. Should they exist in our memories still? You know, like I don't I don't have positive feelings about the war on Christmas or anything like that. But, you know, every now and then I'll listen to DC talk, you know, because it still slaps a little bit. You know, I, I think. But but so I'm I'm glad to hear that you have this like positive journey attached to this text so that we can highlight like. These things weren't entirely all shit all the time. No, you know, and, and even getting that kind of loose interaction, right? Uh, loose, positive interaction towards, I mean, what you do for a living now, right? Like, I mean, these are you're talking about the early experiences of gender mm -hmm. studies for you, right? Yeah. Like baby Teddy getting a chance to see what gender studies are like on a kind of small scale. That's, that's a beautiful thing that this text facilitated. Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but that's really true. Is that like, it kind of, as a young, as a young person, really young person, I think I was 15 when I was reading this, it gave me the opportunity to talk about and explore something that was of great interest to me, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it was, it was really powerful in that sense. It wasn't, as I said before, purely prescriptive. So there was a lot of room for debate and there was a lot of room for conversation. And as we know, you know, our days in the church were not one spent in isolation. They were also tied to community. And so a lot of the good and bad memories we have, I think, are their, their goodness and their not goodness are also somewhat attached to the people we experience them with. And like I said before, I have really positive memories of reading through this with someone at the time who was incredibly important to me, a spiritual mentor of the time. Um, she's one of the few people who, um, from that era of my life, I pretty much have nothing but but love for. Um, so she's no longer actually with us now. So I think that that was also a part of the the sentimentality kicking in there was bringing me back to some of those conversations. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Oh, that's lovely and difficult. I didn't know that. So I'm glad yeah. you're, you're able to share that. Yeah, she was a wonderful person. But my thesis is still nonetheless. <laughs> and I'm sorry to my spiritual parent who I'm sure is up, you know, if there's a heaven up there shaking her head at me, it's still bullshit. So, <laughs> um, so to start to to to, uh, to start to illuminate the, the levels of bullshit, I would like you to read the primary description of the text, which floats around on Amazon. It floats around on, um, you know, the Christian book um, distributors, websites and all of that. I have placed it in our chat for you. This is on Captivating. Every woman was once a little girl. And every little girl holds in her heart her most precious dreams. I, I just, I, I want to keep going, but also like, there it is. Those two sentences. It's nothing toxic or incredible or revelatory. Right. It's just kind of like filler marketing bullshit. Anyway. Know, every adult was at one point a child. <laughs> Did you know you were a child? Exactly. Ah. <laughs> Uh, uh, holds in her heart most precious dreams. She longs to be swept up into romance, to play an irreplaceable role in a great adventure, to be the beauty of the story. Those desires are far more than child's play. They are the secret to the feminine heart. And yet, how many women do you know who ever find that life? As the years pass by, the heart of a woman gets pushed aside, wounded, buried. She finds no romance except in novels, no adventure except in television, and she doubts very much that she will ever be the beauty in any tale. Most women think they have to settle for a life of efficiency and duty, chores and errands, try striving to be the woman they ought to be, but often feeling they have failed. Sadly, too many messages for Christian women add to the pressure. Do these 10 things and you'll be a godly woman. The effect has not been good on the feminine soul. The message of Captivating is this. Your heart matters more than anything else in all creation. The desires you had as a little girl and the longings you still feel as a woman, they are telling you of the life God created you to live. He offers to come now as your hero, as the hero of your story, to rescue your heart and release you to live as a fully, as a fully alive and feminine woman woman who is truly captivated. Thank you for that. What is your reaction reading this? What what strikes you as interesting? What do you notice about the language? What does anything stick out to you? What do you think? Yeah, my initial reaction is really resonant with your thesis of how much filler there is here. This is like I get that it's marketing and marketing copy always feels vapid. But man, oh, man, these these other Christian books tell you nothing except actual advice to, to be the thing that I want you to be. But mm -hmm. that's not good. I'm going to give you this. Nothing. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the first thing that strikes me. The second thing that strikes me, and this is something I, I kind of vividly remember from Wild at Heart as well, is the idea of the inextricable link between your childhood desires of existence and your like divinely ordained role in the world. Mm -hmm. 
there's this idea that like oh i wanted to be x as a child and that is because that is what i was meant to be like i mean i wanted to be a superhero when i was like i wanted to be a power ranger when i was a kid like that doesn't mean my goal in life was to be a power ranger Mm. yeah i get it like i understand they're trying to do this move that's like there's something deeper than all of the trappings of femininity or masculinity and so there's something deeper but i they missed that yeah i feel like if this were in a more deft academic hand you could see this as okay here's the construction of femininity that you are handed what if we strip that away what is left and they want to make a claim that there's something left right i could see that but that does not seem what this is being Yeah, a lot goes back to childhood in this text. A lot goes back to a lot of the rhetoric she uses is like, do you remember when you were a little girl and you thought this and this and this and you were dancing around your kitchen and you wanted to be beautiful and you were holding a baby doll and buddy bum bum. And it's very much this idea that there is something about childhood that if you can access it, if being the big word, if you can access it as an adult, you are able to find there some part of a selfhood that is more authentic and intrinsic than the self you have now. And that Mm -hmm. there is, that is both accessible to you and that it's both, you can like reclaim it or something. And to be fair to her, this is also a prominent discourse, I think, even in mainstream culture, right? Like Mm -hmm. what is one of the biggest ways we legitimize, legitimize gay folks? Well, I knew I was gay when I was a kid, as if that matters. Like who really cares if you knew you were gay when you were a kid? No one knows anything when they're a kid, right? I mean, it both matters and it doesn't matter, you know, but we grant we grant this a lot of weight. I think we grant childhood like way too much weight in in, Mm -hmm. in so many areas of life. So many. It's also, I think, for for her and for these Christian writers, and I can't speak for Wild at heart, but for her, it speaks to when did the fall (laughs) when when were you the most innocent from the fall? You know, Mm -hmm. the fall in the capital F fall, the sin fall. And that was when you were a child. What did you want when you were a child before you were an outright intentional sinner? You wanted X, Y, and Z. That is what you still want today. That is how the logic follows, right? right. So the kind of woman you thought you wanted to be when you were a little girl is the kind of woman who you you always should have been before the world came in and gave you all these messages, which she does, you know, she rightfully notes some things that the world, you know, gets wrong in terms of beauty and body image and weight, right? Before all of that shit came in, um, when you were a little girl, you just wanted to be beautiful, pursued, adventurous. You didn't see any problem with wearing a dress and boots and running around like, you know, like all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I know. I just noticed like two things. It's really funny. <laughs> the idea of like, as a child, you wanted to be pursued. That sounds really it's weird, weird. And also like, I don't know, all the the, you know, other, you know, girly kids that I knew would also like be the first to shove my face in the dirt if I was too annoying. Like, you know, Um, but also speaking back to like that, that weight that we put on childhood, this is something that, you know, if I can step into like the academic side of things a little bit. This goes back to sort of the the romantic period, capital R romantic period, when you have uh, Wordsworth writing things like uh, intimations of immortality, where he mm-hmm. talks about like when we were children, we were closer to the divine. Right, right. 
you know, and a lot of the romantics are using that because they're trying to fight against child labor, you know, trying to fight for child labor laws. And they're trying to like, hey, protect the kids and kids deserve. But at the same time, it's something that I recall in Christianity. Uh, everyone always goes back to like the suffer the little children language and like, oh, the children are these they're that always already victimized group. Mm -hmm. But also like the group that has this uh, strangely divine wisdom that they can tap into. Totally. Yeah. And I'm I and I'm not guilty. I'm guilty of this myself. You know, like I, I was just I was just having a conversation the other day with a woman who's like a sister to me. And we were both saying, you know, there is there is a part of us that still really deeply believes that all of life of coming into yourself and getting older and accepting who you are and becoming more confident in who you are, we kind of still sort of believe is just a return to who you were as a kid. Mm -hmm. yeah. I still kind of believe that, you yeah. know? So to some degree, there is a capital S self. We're doing lots of capitalizing. You know, I do sort of believe in that, like the self is is more evident in childhood than than now. And that the older I get, the more I just, the more, the older I get, the more I become Teddy, who was mm -hmm. in the past. Yeah. Stacy's getting on here too. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and again, I am, and I think that's valid too, right? Like one of my favorite memes is just, oh, you know why I still spend my money on toys and games? Because yeah. I'm an adult who has his own money and my parents can't tell me no anymore. Like it's, we all do that and have that kind of thinking. And I think there is a level of value to that. Yeah. But to found your entire theory of gender off of it. <laughs> right. We've got a problem. And the way these Christian writers to share it, it's not so much. It's a bit infantilizing too. sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, um, and I think that I sense that with her. Like, yeah, there are parts of like when I was a child before the world got to me, before trauma got to me, before all these things got to me that I would love to return to, but I'm also not a little girl. I'm a full grown adult, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm not prancing around in my living room anymore. And like, you know, so there's, there's always that little bit of like condescension or mm -hmm. I, I feel sometimes. Oh no. I, I mean, I feel it too. Absolutely. There's a difference between like trying to attain that capital S self and like, Oh, you're just a baby still. It's like <laughs> crying out loud. I'm 32 years old. Just because I like to play games or just because I'm seeking a joy that capitalism tries to slowly grind my soul in, uh, out of. I had a feeling that was coming. <laughs> we have to. We have to. It's a it's a meme at this point. We have to make sure that we criticize capitalism every episode. Well, I will share when I was talking to my mom about this book, I said something about when I was a little girl. Da -da -da -da, and she goes. Patty, when you were a little girl, you weren't even a little girl. <laughs> so <laughs> that also still makes sense. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to kind of share that blip because I'd be lying if I said that that book, that that little blip is basically the whole book. I mean, that mm -hmm. is that is how the whole book sounds. She has a a sort of thread that runs throughout that adds Christian commentary and that adds scripture. But the majority of it sounds like just what you read, truthfully. Um, so as I was reading the book, I was really struck by how little theological backing it had. And similar to what we talked about in the Rebecca St. James episode, I think, um, you know, Stacy also ties in lots of scripture, lots of references to God. 
but it's really loose. And when she makes these kind of, she's making these kind of broad, serious claims about modern femininity and attempting to tie them to scripture in ways that if you just poke it a little bit, it feels like it all falls apart. Similar mm. to what we about with the Rebecca St. James episode. I'd, ar- I'd actually argue that it's probably one of the theological flimsiest and fluffiest artifacts that we've done so far. Oh, in- fascinating. Yeah, in my opinion. Um, or at least within the realm of the gender sex sexuality stuff. And what's interesting to me, what's interesting to me is that I had this critique as an evangelical. And then as I did some research, I found that it's also a really common critique coming from within the church. So oh, interesting. It's an interesting feeling being an evangelical reading these like ultra conservative blogs and being like, yeah, I agree. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but you you tell Don't them make us agree order. with them. Like, yeah. <laughs> There's something here we go back childhood that, you know, life goes full circle, right? Like I'm sitting there like, yeah, he's really this, this bill at truth.org. He's, he's right about <laughs> <laughs> um, It's like, oh my God, well, how, how did I get here? Um, so if you look up captivating, there are a significant number of reviews and people having qualms with the lack of biblical evidence to support her claims. In particular, um, the critiques, this is what I find funny. The critiques emphasize that Stacy basically thinks too much of women. <laughs> oh, no. I know. OK, so it, it's That's so upsetting. I know it's kind of upsetting, but it's also sort of funny. So That's the tagline for the show, by the way, it's upsetting, but also kind of funny. Upsetting, but also kind of, oh, we should get bumper stickers. It's upsetting, but also kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's my whole personality in a nutshell. Once we get the Patreon going, that's it, right? That's right. Come on, Patreon. You want your bumper stickers, right? Um, so Stacy often frames God. This is one of the critiques people have. Stacy often frames God as like a wild romancer. Again, capital R, romancer, who is presented in like a masculine form. So her point is that God is wooing you. And she says numerous times that God is longing for you, which seems to indicate that God has some kind of need for us. Um, so there's lots of critiques of captivating as a text that puts humans above God or elevates humans above God in some way or puts God and humans at the very least on equal footing in a situation of kind of mutual desire. And since the emphasis of the text is primarily femininity, this really comes across specifically as womanhood, not just as humanity. Mm. So, Speaking of in a truth for ministry critique <laughs> online, <laughs> you were serious about that truth.org really was. It's not truth.org. Sorry. It's truth for ministry. Um, I want you to read what their critique is of captivating. Yeah. And while you drop that in, I'm just going to say memory unlocked here for a second. When you talked about like God wooing. Oh my God. Us, I like all of a sudden it's every conversation I had with a woman who, was like boyfriend Jesus kind of language and like that or like daddy God type stuff. Ugh. Those were really gross. The daddy thing did not age well. No, the daddy thing is is kind of terrible. But so is the boyfriend Jesus thing. Like Jesus just wants to woo me and romance me. And I'm like, well, all right, but I got kind of a crush and I can't keep up with Christ. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're coming at it from like the person who's supposed to be doing the wooing 
and you're like, how can I compare with like a big JC? Yeah. Right. And it's, well, and, and they would use that kind of language. It was like, right, you have to, like, you have to compete with Jesus from my heart because he's trying to, and I can't love you, uh, you know, a significant other more than I love Jesus, but he's also trying to, it was just very weird. And the, the conflation of the spiritual and the romantic was really disturbing even then. Yeah, well, and this was the era where we really, really saw the uptick, or maybe it was actually just the arrival of, I'm not sure I'd have to see like a historical study of this, but for me, it felt like the arrival of, you know, this language of the bride of Christ, the mm. romance, having a romance with Christ, um, being wooed and romantic, romanticized by Christ, you know, all of this like um, sort of marriage yeah. relational language to describe our relationship to and with god right all right so here's the the quote now where is this coming from again you said truth oh yes i don't want to plagiarize um it is uh a truth for ministry review about captivating and it's primarily it's pretty critical of the text and these are christians talking about captivating mind you these are not you know bitter yeah captivating exalts women I see why he has a problem. Captivating <laughs> exalts women. Her heart, her wounds, her beauty, her longings for romance, no other longing, her relationships, her capability to give life, and her need for adventure. Sounds awful, doesn't it? And terrible. Like, yeah, total propaganda. The author falsely equates women, woman with the God who created her. The word feminine, or a form of it, appears 11 times just on the back cover. And the introduction. That's like a weird little caveat. And the introduction. Feminine means pertaining to a woman, having qualities traditionally ascribed to women. This clearly illustrates who is in the spotlight. Not Jesus Christ, but women. There is mention of God and Jesus throughout the book, but they are used subjectively for women, for her own story. Hence the quotation marks. There is no accurate biblical definition of the God that the Eldridges are referring to, which makes me conjecture that this is not the God of the Bible. Neither is there mention of the fact that women are sinful of a savior, which is Jesus Christ because of his completed work on the cross. The book completely ignores the transformation that should take place in a woman's life if she has been reconciled to God by the by Christ's blood. Okay, end of quote. Like Come on. I hate this arc. I see this argument all the time. When I was teaching at the Bible colleges, my students would always, okay, but like, then how does this relate to Jesus's work on the cross? We don't have to relate everything back. Some things can be their own thing. I don't know. I kind of get it, though. Like, I mean, it's absurd. Okay. A lot of what they say here is absurd. Like, we don't really know if it's the God of the Bible come on truth org whatever this we do know like you know but at the same time if you are going to propose a model of gender based on christianity i would like to see some scripture i mean i oh, want yeah. i want a sound logical religious backing to that other i mean yeah. so I'm like, I, I'm kind of on both sides. I'm like, this is bullshit, but I also see why you think it's bullshit. And it's kind of bullshit in that way, too. Mm -hmm. No. So, yeah, let me clarify that, too, because I, I agree with what you're saying. If you're going to commit. Right. Then, Go then all the way. fucking commit. Yeah. But 
his complaint as it's written here is not specifically, oh, there's not enough theological backing for your ideas. It's, well, you didn't talk about Jesus enough. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a different than theologically justifying your points. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I maybe I'm splitting hairs. This is me spending too much time as a theology bro in college. But like, right. I, I, I see this quote, the, this quotation from the from this review as, well, you focus too much on the women thing and the people thing and you didn't spend enough time talking about the Jesus thing. It's like, well, this isn't a proselytizing book. Yeah. This is a book for people who are already redeemed and reconciled. Like, you you know, nobody, no Wiccan is going to walk into a store and pick this up. You know, an atheist isn't going to go and pick this up. Mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> I'm laughing at your cat. <laughs> Eddie's cat is adorably, very gently just touching to make sure that she is okay. <laughs> literally putting her paw on my shoulder it's the cutest thing yeah it's adorable um, um but so, so that's sort of where my my critique is but i agree with your assessment of this absolutely yeah that if you're gonna put in your freaking introduction that like we need to base our womanhood in christ well i need to know what is christ who is christ what do we mean by that what does christ have to do with womanhood so although on one hand i think this person takes it way too far um i do i i can spot a kind of Point where I agree in that it is missing a sort of theological rigor, you know. Mm-hmm. So, as I was reading reviews, a lot are like this. A lot are yeah. basically saying, you know, it's all about women. It's all about women. It's not enough about scripture. It's not enough. It's not theologically justified. There's also a bit more of a. This is kind of funny. A niche critique is that. For amongst Christians online is that Stacy apparently goes off on this little rant where she talks about Mary as in the Virgin Mary's participation in the birth of Christ, basically linking Mary indirectly to the salvation story and saying that our salvation is partly a product of a young girl's choice to bear Christ. And because that's what brought him here in bodily form, he could die for us and fulfill the prophecy. Therefore, this speaks to like Look how amazing women are. Look how amazing birth is. Look how amazing the women's woman's body is, blah, blah, blah. People took like major issue with this, basically saying it's a time that Stacy really goes off the biblical track and like exalts women over Christ. It, it was like it created like a ton of content. But that's just one of many examples mm-hmm. where she is kind of exalting and like praising woman in the most traditional sense. Like, look how amazing women are. Christ only came because of a woman, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And people took a lot of issue with that. So I think that mostly leads me to say that it is mostly innocent bullshit. So I don't read this book as doing a significant amount of damage. I think that it's so fluffy It's so full of generalities. It leaves so much room for interpretation. It relies so heavily on phrases that could essentially mean anything. And I think that that is illuminated, especially in the fact that even the Christians see it and take problem with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that we can both kind of agree on that, although to varying degrees. Sure. Speaks to its fluffiness. 
Because that's not something you really heard Christians call out at the time. Like, I don't remember there being much. I felt kind of original saying all of that about Rebecca St. James. There was no critique of her being theologically flimsy. Right. Do you recall any of that? I don't recall any of that either about about Rebecca St. James, about I mean, even at the time, uh, Josh Harris. Right. Like, you know, there wasn't a large scale watchdog on this christian inspirational literature that's out there mm-hmm. um i also wonder like if it's a combination of we were younger the internet wasn't you know as easily accessible so like in like the niche magazines it's there mm-hmm. we just didn't see it but um no you're right i i don't remember seeing these things as very vocal uh, uh opposition no. And yeah, and to be fair, you're absolutely right. No internet back then. We didn't have them maybe as much of a, a, you know, our pulse on like critiques and stuff. But I'm talking about even critiques that are still currently happening about these texts. Oh, yeah. You look up captivating. There are a ton of critiques. In fact, there's way more negative press about it from Christians than there is positive. Oh, wow. As opposed to the other texts we read where there's there's not. And the cynic in me is like, interesting. That the text that would provoke that critique is one that's basically saying, aren't women really great? Mm-hmm. You see where I'm coming from. <laughs> I absolutely see where you're I'm coming like, from. Okay, you know, Stacy, you're annoying, but also you're all really annoying too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, <laughs> like Again, don't why? make me side with her. <laughs> right. Like, why is this getting so much back? Like, why are you all so mad about this in comparison to like all the other shit out there from this yeah. era? There's just it feels like is there something there? I guess I'm just posing that somewhat. <laughs> I think that's a very good question. It's something I'm going to be keeping an eye out for as I um, continue to do work for the Wild at Heart one because I know that there's some negative critiques out there. There's quite a bit I've seen, um, okay. but I'm going to be interested in the tone that they take. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see about that. But I'm with you. I mean. You know, here's something that's sort of just vaguely celebrating the idea of femininity and that's getting kind of shit on. Right, right. You know, when I said that it's mostly innocent, the things that I would say are not innocent about it are not the things that Christians are critiquing. So there's like troubling passages where it's sad. Stacey is a victim of abuse Mm -hmm. and there are I, I didn't go into all this because I was like, we already did in Rebecca St. James. Honestly, I wasn't in the mood for dredging all these passages up, to be honest. But there's some troubling language she assigns to her sexual abuse um, that suggests a sort of kind of responsibility um, in how she could have behaved differently. You know, all of that. So oh, like, there's that, like, that's a whole troubling thing. Um, I think there's also some troubling stuff about woman's kind of dependence upon and her this like divine identity being really tied to man and being in a partnership so like it's like even the things that i think are kind of upsetting and that are worthy of critique those aren't even the things that are being addressed it's always just that like stacy's like really too flattering to women <laughs> God. Then she's too she's too nice about women. <laughs> so the the last prong of my thesis was well, I said it's mostly bullshit. It's mostly innocent bullshit. 
And then it's not that different from the world's bullshit. This is my last line. So (laughs) this is going to be a bit more of a controversial take, but I have to be honest that I am not a fan of most inspirational women writers in the mainstream world today either. This Um, is where I insert somebody screaming, burn the witch. (laughs) Okay, it's going to get really bad now. Okay, you ready? I'm going to step on some... Nick probably doesn't even know who I'm talking about here, but I'm going to step on some toes here and say that I can't even really handle someone like Glennon Doyle for more than a few minutes. I'm so sorry, millennials. I'm so sorry. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I was going to say this probably means nothing to you. Um, I can probably find someone like Brene Brown enlightening sometimes, depending upon the amount she's rooting her commentary and her clinical experience as an LCSW. But in general, I find most things that are striving to be intentionally and uniquely inspirational for women completely lacking. Mm. And I don't even really see Stacey's work to be all that different from non-Christian women writers who are trying to do a similar thing. Um, It draws on some occasional scriptures and a kind of broad referencing of God and Jesus. Now I sound like the truth.org website, (laughs) but there are, but there are large portions you could easily just pluck out. And if forced to stand alone would have little to no mark of an obvious Christianity. Um, I have an example of this. Great. Okay. I'd love to hear it. And, and um, again, while you're pulling that up, my thoughts are like. I'm sorry. I'm doing a ton of talking today. That's not a problem. Okay. You're kind of supposed to. It's literally your job here. Today. Yeah, that's right. I had one job. Oh, my God. This one's long. Um, my just I wanted to say I don't know so much about those specific women. I know of Brene Brown, but I don't know specifically of those like inspirational writers. But I, I generally feel that way. I try not to. I try not to shit on it too much because I know it is a market that is primarily consumed by women. Mm. And I have sat in circles with women who have been like deeply touched and changed by a lot of this work, you know? So I always try to approach it. I approach the critique. I try to approach it cautiously because I don't like to be one of those people who's just like shitting on the thing that women like, you know? But I also have to be honest about my own kind of hesitancy surrounding it, even just on a sometimes even on an ethical level. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a lot of the the women who, you know, they're so privileged um, and they're giving these this like blanket advice to women with, you know, probably a set of challenges in their lives that these the authors could not even imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't approach I can't help but approach that with some cynicism. So, yeah, um, I'm always sort of. I'm teetering on like a, you know, being really critical and then also being cautious in that critique. But I guess my point here is just that I think that what sometimes the mainstream world and the church don't see is how much some of their most prominent rhetoric is not even all that different from one another. Mm-hmm. And as an evangelical, being able to identify those shared themes and patterns has been kind of liberating for me. In the sense of like, oh, what drew me to that is what draws people to that here. And what draws people to this there is what draws, you know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of it's kind of freeing to just identify that everybody's looking for something similar, just dressed in different language. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. And I, I think you handled that uh, very well. And uh, if anybody's really interested in looking at more of these kind of self-help books, I highly recommend the podcast If Books Could Kill. Uh, it's Michael Hobbs's new podcast. It's yeah. really great. They spent a whole episode talking about the secret 
and oh, breaking yeah. down the kinds of bullshit that's in it and and how it's harmful. Like their whole thesis is I get that some people find these inspirational and I get that they've actually meant something to someone, but they're prof- uh, promulgating really harmful things that could harm not only you, but the people you interact with in mm. ways that you might not be able to see. So I highly recommend that. Similar one more plug. Uh, speaking of Michael Hobbs, he, him, and um, Aubrey Gordon do a wonderful uh, maintenance phase episode on Rachel Hollis, who's another one of those like women inspo writers people, and they just do a really wonderful job being like, "Hey, you may have gotten something from this, but it's also rooted in some really troubling ideas that are reaped in privilege and deception and marketing ploy all you know they do a great job with that so this episode brought to you by michael hobbs michael hobbs <laughs> sponsor at maintenance phase <laughs> <laughs> what kind of meta nonsense is that a podcast sponsoring another podcast? i know right that's probably not a thing um all right so you have sent me this quote Right. So basically, this quote is just, for me, a great example of the way that you could pluck a passage from Captivating and you would not necessarily know this person was a fundamentalist Christian. Okay, so like, read this and imagine it's Glennon Doyle, everyone. I feel like it's totally possible to do this. Okay, go for it. The desire to be beautiful is an ageless longing. My friend Lily is in her mid-80s. As she descended the stairs of her home one Christmas season, I was captured by her beauty. She was wearing a green corduroy jumper with a white turtleneck and had little candy canes all over it. I said, Lily, you look lovely. Her face lit up, wrinkles and age spots disappearing as she put her hand out uh, at her side like a ballerina and did a delightful little twirl. She was no longer 80. She was ageless. God has set eternity in our hearts. The longing to be beautiful is set there as well. The desire to be beautiful is an ageless longing. Beauty is transcendent. It is our most immediate experience of the eternal. Think of what it's like to behold a gorgeous sunset or ocean at dawn. Remember the ending of a great story. We yearn to linger, to experience it all our days. Sometimes the beauty is so deep, it pierces us with longing. For what? For life as it was meant to be. Yeah, I mean. Fine. Fine. Says nothing, says everything at the same time. Does this, does this sound like uh, uh, a first year writing student to you? Because it does to me. This is like a student who's trying to like convince me that it's worthwhile to talk about like social media. Right? <laughs> like social media is everywhere it didn't always used to be but now it is and social media is important because it's important yeah yeah well people eat it up so maybe they're on to something maybe they should be teaching us oh no i was gonna say that writing style is making a hell of a lot more money than ours ever will so uh, (laughs) um always here to bring the truth (laughs) y'all um so i mean am i crazy or could that could that just be written by anyone would yeah, you know I mean, the only reference have... to god is god set eternity in our hearts which is a meaningless phrase as it is yeah but it's like okay you've just sort of like acknowledge like you might as well said we were created to be that's as much of an acknowledgement of god as anything else is absolutely and that i mean g- god that feels very that could be in the secret speaking of right yeah it's 
since I ventured down that, you know, aisle of the bookstore, but I feel like that is a line that could easily end up in a book like that. All right. Yeah. And I have one more for you. This is, this is in the um, category of aren't women so amazing? One of Stacy's little rants about how great women are. Given the way creation unfolds, how it builds to ever and ever higher works of art, can there be any doubt that Eve is the cre- creation? No, Stacy. Look out across the earth and say to yourself, the whole vast world is incomplete without me. Creation reached its zenith in me. That's an uncomfortable sentence, Stacy. The queer girl, she's just like, is she wrong, though? <laughs> I mean, like, again, that's very generic. Like, oh, you generic. are the center of the world yeah, in a yeah. good way. And that's- this world is better with you in it. And you know what? Like, yeah, okay. Why not? Why not? Right? Why sure. not? Yeah. yeah. Why not? If anything, you know, I think Christian literature of this time usually made us feel way, really lean far more into the there is none righteous, no, not one, you better hate yourself, you know, type of discourse. Absolutely. So maybe that's another reason why I have kind of fond memories of this is it didn't make me feel like shit or at least not most of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, and again, I think this this uh, resonates with my memory of Wild at Heart. Like it was a moment when the Christian literature that we were told to read said you matter. Right. You matter a lot and mm-hmm. you are meant to be something, you know, whether or not it's accurate what it says we were meant to be. It did speak to that aspirational side of our youth and in a very good way i think yeah in a way that most kids going back to the whole childhood thing most kids want to hear you know i mean what kid doesn't eat that line up with a spoon you know the world is incomplete without you right right the world needs and wants you especially if you're feeling so full of that garbage disgusting language of you are nothing you are worse than dirty menstrual pads kind of thing you know like that's yeah. that's a, everybody always talked about that being the isaiah line right like the yeah, you uh, your works are hard. your works are like dirty rags to jesus supposedly it meant uh menstrual rags yeah that's what i was told oh i know i don't know i maybe i either blocked that one out or i i was never told it's that. an interesting way to gender just generic being a good person isn't enough yeah, uh, seriously. yeah. Um, but at any rate, yeah, like it's it's a meaningful sentence to someone in that space. So I get why it was meaningful then. But it yeah. feels very flat now. Yeah. Fluffy doesn't really mean much. Wouldn't encourage me now. Wouldn't discourage me. Would mean essentially nothing to me. You know, yeah. it would be a thing I would see on Instagram and be like, oh, look, that that's that means nothing. You know, so I feel like apart from the Eve reference, you can kind of imagine this being in pretty much any book that Even is with the eve reference like i was thinking oh, it's myth right there's yeah. lots of books about myth yeah, you know? yeah yeah i was gonna say it, it, i feel like it would it's uh you know talking about eve as the like platonic woman yep you know like that idea i, I could definitely just see that being anywhere there's nothing uniquely christian about this i guess moral of the story is that there are a lot of books from this era that if you were to hand them to a non-christian they would never be able to get anything out mm-hmm. of it. But there's totally a chance I think you could hand this text to someone. And apart from a couple paragraphs here or there, they could probably still enjoy it, 
you know, if, if you were the kind of person who enjoyed this kind of content. Yeah. And I would just like to end with, you know, a final remark, which is that I think deep down, Stacy really just wants to say she's a total feminist. You know, I think she just wants to say that she thinks women are incredible and that she thinks Eve is the climax of creation, no pun intended. And creation has, you know, reached its all time high when it created women. So I don't, you know, it, the book could have been shorter. She could have just said that. We all would have been fine with it. That would have been great. That would have been great. Would have calculated me, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for today's discussion on Oh God, I Forgot About That. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss future conversations, please follow us so you get notifications of upcoming releases. You can also interact with us between episodes on sites like Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So make sure you reach out, search for us, and chat with us in those places. And one last thing. We'd be so grateful if you rated our podcast. It keeps us visible and ensures that others hear about us. Thanks again for joining us on this journey of remembering. Talk to you soon. Stay tuned for Wild at Heart. Stay tuned for Wild at Heart.